0: as to where we stand, that we believe that all life, pre-birth and post-birth, is made in the image and likeness of God. And it is our job as followers of Jesus, as we enter into not just everyday life, but even as we enter into the voting booth, that we vote out of a heart that is stood on scripture as our final authority. Amen? And uh, so, if you would, let's, I want to pray to that end and... um, and may it not be a distraction as to what we're going to talk about today. Pray with me. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the beauty of life, God. Uh, just the amazing goodness you have for us and every human life that you create. God, I ask that your word would stand firm in, um, in this generation that your truth would go forward, that your heart would be expressed through your believers. Even as we're going to talk about today, God, we are, we are called to be your people representing you in the world around us. And your kingdom is to be on display in this kingdom. So God, would you move in the hearts of people? Would you, would you have your way this November, God? We're not calling for any political appeal, God. We're asking for your way to, to be... Um, to happen, God, to, to move forward through your people. And God, we ask, even as we have prayed, you are our cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. Everything we do is dependent on you and from you and by you, and today we rest in that fact. Even as we open up your word and uh, read from it today, would you, Holy Spirit, have your way in our hearts, move among us, and uh, in the time we have, challenge us to be more like you, in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be in John chapter 15 today. We've been going through John chapter uh, 14, 15, and 16. If you haven't been uh, around or you've been watching online or just joining us, that's okay too. We've been going through a series called The Follower's Trail Guide. As we've been walking through John chapter 14, 15, and 16, as uh, we look at what is often called, well, called Jesus' farewell discourse, as he's about to leave his disciples, and he wants to encourage them. He wants to prepare them for what lies ahead and their discipleship with him and how they should interact with the world and how they should move forward. And in all of that, uh, he leaves them with some truths to highly impact the way that they function as disciples. And we want you, as followers of Jesus, to be impacted by the words of Jesus that it might impact the way that you function and in your discipleship in every single Day and there's some amazing key aspects of discipleship we want you to see here, today. In today's passage in John chapter 15, you will know well if you've been around the church. I promise you, you'll know very well. And as I was thinking about today, I was thinking about the season we're in. Anybody been to an orchard already yet? Like a, a cider mill? You already been down that road? Awesome. Many of you have a lot to do still because uh, everybody goes. If you know, if you're in Michigan, you go to. A cider mill in October its just what you do. You go pay an exorbitant amount of money to pick apples off the trees, do the work for the people, so that you can just have this amazing experience and get some Instagram photos. It's awesome. And you can pay overpriced to go jump on a, a bounce house in an area that's locked off. I mean, it's awesome and wonderful. And uh, you could tell I love cider mills. I do, really. I, I think it's amazing and great. It's just they've been really, um, they're profiting them, off them a lot, it's awesome. Um, But in the season, we often love apples, and we drink cider and donuts and all of that. And it just got me thinking about apple trees. And I want to just put forward a scenario in your mind. Just imagine for a moment, you're like, enough's enough. I'm not paying to go pick apples. I'm going to plant my own apple tree. Forget this. And so you go to the store or wherever you buy an apple tree, uh, and you go and you buy your apple tree, and you take it home. And uh, say you have a, obviously, you probably have a garage, and you take the, the apple tree and it's in the little pot and you put it in the garage and you never put it outside where the sun can, can can shine down on it. You never really give it any water. You never plant it in the ground where it can get some roots. And at the end of the day, every day you come out and you look at your apple tree and your apple tree's producing no fruit. And you just look at your apple tree and you're like, what are you doing? Your job is to produce fruit. Like man, it's already, we're We're two months into this. i got ten more months, and I'm going to have to go back and pick my own apples again. Like, what are you doing? Grow some fruit. That we just would, it would be really, really dumb, right? I mean, if someone did that, you would look at them sideways. Like, you actually think that your apple tree is going to produce fruit in the garage, out of the sun, with no water and no nutrients in the soil. You just think that just by product of being an apple tree it's just going to be like pop out an apple and you see that we would look at that and be like that's really um, it's it's not right thinking at the end of the day like something's wrong that you would think that that's the process by which you would get fruit from an apple tree and we laugh about it because it's funny but the challenge I have is as I believe there's so many people in the church today doing the same thing in their Christian life. With no nutrition of the Son, no water of the Spirit, no soil of the Father, whatever it might be. There's, there's, there's no, no, no abiding relationship in Jesus. We're Christians. But it would be like bringing our apple tree into church once every couple weeks and having them sit in the service and thinking that that process is going to be the process by which fruit is going to come. And there is a generation of believers that is missing out in the abiding relationship with Jesus, the only thing by which we produce fruit. And we think that by product of hearing Jim yell at you for a few minutes, and thinking hard on the things that we shouldn't do and we have to do, that by that, we're going to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. And it's a lie from Satan. And Jesus has a much better way, as we're going to see today. He wants to remind his disciples that that there's something that he calls them to. Actually, it's a proof of discipleship. And, And what he says it is, is producing fruit. It's byproduct of being a disciple. This is what I want you to see today. Disciples of Jesus produce fruitful lives. That's, that's, that, that's what the natural process of what should happen. I mean, just to see this really briefly in our passage, in verse 8 of chapter 15, it says this. By this, my Father, Jesus is speaking, is glorified that you bear much proof or much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That part of the proof of being a follower of Jesus is the fruit that we produce. Now, we'll get into how that happens and all of that. But for Jesus to be a disciple is to bear much fruit. It's just hand in hand. There's no in between. It's part and parcel. It's part of being a follower of Jesus is producing fruit. So the natural question we would ask next is like, what does Jesus even mean by Bearing fruit, what does that look like? What exactly are we looking for? How do we produce fruit in Jesus' name and all of that? I think the most important question would be the, the how do we do that? How do we engage with that? How does that actually happen? Well, to answer that, we're going to look at just the text today and see a couple of truths in the first 11 verses that Jesus calls us to that shows how and, and what it looks like to be a fruit-making disciple. So look with me in verse 1, the first three verses, is what Jesus says. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So the the first thing I want you to see is to recognize your purpose, and we see that in the text, which I've already said is, your purpose is bearing fruit in Jesus' name. That's what our life should look like. And he uses this this metaphor here of a vine or a vineyard. And and there's a a vine, which we see is Jesus. Then there's branches, which comes to us. And then there's a vine dresser or a farmer in the vineyard who is the father. God the father is the the metaphor that he's using in the imagery here to unpack what it looks like for us to bear much fruit. And he begins by saying, I am the true vine. Now, you, you read right over that. But there's a lot of significance just in that little phrase. I, Jesus is saying, am the true vine. Now throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been saying all of these I am statements. I am, I am, I am. We've done series on it. It's an amazing study if you ever want to get into it. But this is kind of the final of that. But when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's speaking to the prophetic. This isn't just some uh, like metaphor, but he's also speaking to the propheticness of the past where um, the people of Israel have been a picture. A vine has been a picture of the people of Israel, not only just the people, but their mission as well. And so Jesus is saying here, I am the true vine, and I am the ultimate mission by which God is going to bring about the kingdom of God or the fruit of the kingdom of God. Listen to this in Isaiah 27, 6. Isaiah writes and says, in days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. You see, the, the, the vine has been a very important symbol of the nation of Israel. And, and by Jesus saying that he's the true vine, Jesus is saying at the end of the day, he is in fact the true Israel and the one who's going to fulfill the purposes of God now going forward. I mean, there's just, just in that statement, you could preach an entire message on I'm the true vine, and by saying this, actually, he's declaring judgment on Israel who has not produced fruit, and then he's now saying he's the fulfillment of now what God is going to do in his mission moving forward, and he says that his father is the farmer. He's the the vine dresser. He's the one that's been working from the very beginning to prune. He's been preparing the vine for the world all of this time. He's been working, and at the same time, the Father's always been there, and he's always been intending on using the vine for exactly what he's using it for. Then it comes to us. He says, We then So if, if God the Father is the vine dresser, he's the farmer, and Jesus himself in the metaphor is the vine, it comes to us now, and he says that what are we? We're the branches. There's a lot of great metaphors for us in in the Bible. Which one do you like better? Your sheep? Branch? Like, pretty awesome to think about. But he says the branches are connected to the vine, but the ones that are, the ones that are connected, bear the fruit of the vine. And it's amazing to think about. Jesus most likely probably walking through a vineyard. It's very... um, Um, multi-sensory. He's talking about a vineyard and a vine. He's probably there in a vineyard. They're looking at it. They see the imagery, and and he says at the end of the day, his point is that branches exist to bear fruit. Just think about it for a moment. At the end of the day, imagine you're at a vineyard, and you just go into a vineyard, and you just see, uh, I'm sure maybe you've been up north uh, to Traverse City, you've been on Old Mission Peninsula or you've seen a place where there's just vineyards, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, especially during times where it's green and it's, and it's lush and it's, it's just you know, just a beautiful sight. Now imagine you went to a vineyard and it's just brown. Just dead branches hanging. You wouldn't be in awe of anything. You'd be like, man, what is wrong with a farmer? Why haven't they cut this stuff away? You wouldn't recognize anything beautiful or good at the end of the day. And, and, and at the same time, you'd be like, man, at the end of the day, why, why in the world hasn't this farmer been involved in cutting back the decay and the dead? And the whole point within our text, the fact that the, that the father, the vine dresser, is one who not only prunes the ones who are producing fruit so they'll produce more fruit and cutting away the dead branches so they don't hinder the growth of the vine, he's showing at the end of the day within the text the point of all of it at the end of the day is preparing or producing, excuse me, fruit. If, if God the Father, if, if the vine dresser cared nothing about fruit, he would just let the dead branches lie, and he would never prune the, bran- prune the branches, correct? At the end of the day, just the product of the way the text is produced or written or the way Jesus is teaching is showing that at the end of the day, his intention is that followers of Jesus would be connected to the vine, and producing fruit. It reinforces the main point of the text. If they are the branches, the disciples, Jesus' point is really clear. When I'm gone, you're to abide in me, stay connected to the vine, and by product of that, you will produce much fruit. You see, the mission of God has always been to spread his glory to the ends of the earth. And it always has found its end goal or finds it within Jesus. But at the end of the day, it's demonstrated through the people of God who are united to him, who are abiding in him. At the end of the day, like the disciples, Jesus is about to leave. That God's goal was always to be fruitful and multiply. From Adam and Eve, he said what? Be fruitful and multiply. He, he literally floods the earth, starts over. Noah's about to leave the boat. He says what? Be fruitful and multiply. He tells Abraham, hey, I am going to fill the earth with so many descendants that we're going to bless the world. And ultimately, that was going to come through Jesus. And then Jesus, just after this a little bit, when he leaves the earth, what does he tell his disciples in Matthew 28? All authority has been given to me. Now go and do what? I can't hear you. Uh, Make disciples. It's the the same language in a different way. Be fruitful and multiply. The goal of God has always been to fill the earth with his glory. It's ultimately found in Jesus, but it's produced often or or always through the branches that are connected to Jesus. One uh, writer, as I was studying, said this. It's a helpful definition of what Jesus is talking about here. He says this. The fruit... Listen to this for a moment. The fruit of what Jesus is talking about here is the life of Jesus himself reproduced in the lives of the disciples in the midst of the life of the world. Did you catch that? The the point of Jesus here is that the fruit is the life of Jesus himself reproduced in the lives of his disciples in the midst of the life of the world. At the end of the day, our purpose is to reproduce Jesus' life here in this kingdom, that God might get glory here by people being invited into his kingdom and reproducing Jesus. At the end of the 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 day, it's one word, to be Christ-like. Maybe you've heard that before. That the more I'm like Jesus, the more that God is shown in the world and more glory is given to God and more people will be invited into the kingdom. At the end of the day, my job as a follower of Jesus in producing fruit is to be more like Jesus to reproduce Jesus in my own life? I'll just give you a simple question for you to ask, and you could ask it of any area of your life, but just ask this. When you look at an area of your life, ask this question. If Jesus was doing this through me, would it look like what it looks like right now? If Jesus was doing this through me, would it look like this right now? So you just go down through your area. If, If Jesus was doing this through me, My work, would my job look like this, the way that I work, if Jesus was doing it through me? If you're a parent here today, you're watching online, do you parent your kids the way Jesus would want you to? Are you engaging them? Are you discipling them? Are you... Are you having spiritual conversations with them? Or do you just drop them off with Josh and kids ministry downstairs and hope they turn out good? Or you drop them off at Christian school and you hope that they're discipling them well? Or are you just not doing anything at all and you just come to church and you hope one day they're going to just migrate into being like Jesus? I'll tell you right now, I never migrated and be like Jesus. My kids won't either. The, the way that you, you, you love your spouse, is it the way that Jesus would do it? I mean, Jesus already showed us a pretty clear picture. We're the bride, and he killed himself for us. So, so just lay that out there. Is that the way that we're, we're, we're operating in life, the way you date your partner, young people? The person you're dating, are you dating them like Jesus would? The way you engage your hobbies? The way you interact with your finances? If all of your money just goes back into your life, you are not re- using the resources God given you the way that Jesus would. So you just ask that about every area of life. And this is what Jesus is saying, is that at the end of the day, I can do nothing apart from being connected to the branch. And at the end of the day, my goal is to produce fruit. And the way in which that happens is for me to reproduce Jesus in my everyday life. Now, some of you are looking at me wide-eyed like, that's great, Jim, but I don't know if I can do that. How do I even begin to do that? How is that possible to reproduce Jesus' life? I mean, it's Jesus. How am I supposed to be like Jesus? And I'm not talking about perfection, but our striving to be more like Jesus is produced in our everyday life. Well, Jesus actually gives us the key to producing fruit. In the next few verses, look with me in verses 4 through 6. Jesus says, Abide in me showstopper right there. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I mean, you just stop right there. How many of us in life are taking our life like an apple tree, still in the pot, putting it in the garage with no sun, no water, and expecting our lives to bear fruit and be more like Jesus. Jesus just said it. He's like, hey, just like we know and we believe at the end of the day, we understand. A branch will never produce fruit if it's not connected to the vine. We shouldn't think that we as followers of Jesus, us disciples, are going to bear fruit if we're not connected into the vine of Jesus. But how many in this life as followers of Jesus, strive to produce fruit and become more like Jesus, but do not abide with Jesus. I'm telling you, just by sheer statistical number of people I talk to, there is a lot of people that are doing their their best to try to just try harder to produce fruit, but they are not abiding with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It goes on He says, I'm the true vine, or I'm the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, that's just right there is the truth. Apart from Jesus, apart from abiding in him, it's just striving we're doing. You'll never be the parent that you need to be for your children in raising them to become followers of Jesus if you're not abiding with Jesus. You'll never be the ultimate spouse that you need to be to your, to your husband or your wife if you're not abiding in Jesus. You, you'll, you'll never steward your resources well if you're not abiding in Jesus. You, you'll, you'll never be the follower of Jesus wants you to, to be at your workplace if, if you're not abiding in Jesus. That's what he's saying. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can strive and do hard and, and try better, and you might produce little things, but you will never produce much fruit if we're not abiding with Jesus. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and burned. So the, the second thing that I want you to see is to remain in Jesus. So the first thing is to recognize your purpose, it's to produce fruit, but then we move to like how it happens. It's, it's remaining in Jesus, abiding in him. Jesus gives us a pretty clear command in this passage to abide in him, and, and the key to producing a fruitful life in Jesus is remaining in him. Abiding in him is the primary task of your discipleship, the primary task. You might be like, well, my job is to, to tell people about Jesus. Yes. My job is to, is to love others. Yes, your primary job as a follower of Jesus, above all of those things, is to abide in him, and you will naturally love other people the way you're supposed to. You will naturally share the gospel. You will naturally come out of you. You will produce much fruit by abiding in him. Well, I'll tell you, a lot, of, a lot of followers of Jesus, myself included, are distracted by a whole host of other things. And we neglect just the sheer abiding in Jesus. Because our lives are meant to produce the life of Jesus in the life of the world. We have to abide in him. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Now, I, I just want to speak to this for a moment. What Jesus is calling us to is an objective reality, but a subjective pursuit. If you know what I mean by that, it's an objective reality in this. And on one hand, if you're here today, you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus. You are in Christ. We joined into the vine. You're a branch on the vine we're united with God through faith what Christ did on the cross so it's an objective reality You're, you are in Christ right but there's a big difference between that at the end of the day to the abiding subjective pursuit as well yes there's an objective reality that I'm looking at a host of people hundreds of people here this morning that are probably in Christ they place their faith and trust in Jesus That's an objective reality. The difference is there's a subjective pursuit in the reality of abiding. That yes, I'm in Christ. I'm attached to the vine. But that doesn't mean you're going to bear much fruit just because now you're a follower of Jesus. No, this is why it comes as a command. Why is Jesus commanding for us to abide in him? He says, you're already clean. He already told the disciples, you're already clean. You're already in Christ. So why is he now telling them to abide? He's not calling them to to give their lives to Jesus. No, he's calling them to this subjective pursuit of pursuing Jesus, abiding with him. Think about it as your in your marriage relationship if you're married here today, if you're not, let me give you just some free wisdom. Okay? The day that you on whatever day it is for you, walked down an aisle or stood before a group or were at the courthouse or you went to the Bahamas, however you did it, you entered into a marriage relationship with someone. And on that day, there is an objective reality that you are now together in marriage. You are bound together legally, spiritually. You are now together in marriage. But If you never pursue, as I've learned, because I'm horrible at it, pursue deep relationship or connection with one another, you're never spending time with one another. You might be united together legally and spiritually, but you'll never experience fruit in your marriage. You'll just be united to a person objectively, but there's this subjective pursuit that comes in marriage as well. That yes, you're bound to them legally and spiritually, but at the end of the day, there's this pursuit of one another that must happen to produce fruit in your marriage. The same thing is what Jesus is talking about here, that we abide in him, yes, as we're united in him through faith, but abiding in Jesus is this continual, deep pursuit of following him and learning from him and growing in him. We can't produce fruit outside of it. And some of y'all, maybe, your relationship with Jesus is much like many people's marriage relationships. You entered into the subjective reality 15 years ago, 20, 30 years ago in your marriage, but it's been 10 years or more since you've actually pursued one another relationally, deeply, profoundly. And there's a reason why divorce rates are through the roof after the children leave the house, because, man, the kids leave and you're like, I got nothing else, and me and you haven't been connected in how many years, so there's no point in doing this anymore, so we'll just break it off and move on, because we never took the time to pursue one another, love one another, find deep intimacy with one another. And I'll tell you, there's probably... Hundreds of people looking back at me this morning, that you entered into a united relationship with God long ago, and you placed your faith and trust in him, but you have not pursued him deeply, relationally, intimately in a long time. And it feels much like maybe the marriage you used to have or you have currently, or you hear about with others. You're just passing each other in the hallways. But Jesus has so much more than that. He calls us to much more than that. So how do you actually do it? What does it look like to abide with Jesus? Well, I'm so glad you asked me. It makes my sermon easier. If you look in verse 7, we do it through the word and prayer, through pursuing God, through the word of God and prayer. Look what it says in verse 7. If you abide in me and my works abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. The first place that Jesus points to for what it looks like to abide in him is abiding in his word. In his words. What we have now is beautiful in his words. You cannot produce the life of Jesus in our lives if we don't know the words and the ways of Jesus. How am I supposed to reproduce Jesus in the day-to-day operational of my life, living every single day in work and in marriage and in family life and in my kids' travel soccer and, and people I see at Starbucks? How am I supposed to reproduce Jesus in my life if I'm not actually seeing the playbook of how Jesus lived his life and what he calls us to in the word of God? And even much more than that, there's a supernatural power that we believe about the Word of God, that it is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. And every time I open it, it should connect with my heart and soul and convict me and move me and renew my mind. My favorite passage in all Scripture is Romans chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of god present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your spiritual worship and he says don't be transformed by this world but be or don't be conformed to this world excuse me but be transformed by the renewing of your mind what is the renewing of your mind i love that the word transformed i've shared with you before is this this where we get our word metamorphosis anybody know what happens with that this ugly little caterpillar becomes this beautiful butterfly. And it's speaking to the reality of what happens when I get into the Word of God and my mind is renewed, that there's this inward transformation that happens like in a cocoon, and I am an ugly, ugly caterpillar, and my my heart and soul are dark, but the renewing of my mind by the supernatural power of the Word of God and the Spirit of God combined renews my mind and my heart so that out of that cocoon comes a beautiful butterfly and a display of Christ to the world. This is what he's saying through his word and through prayer, that fruit-bearing Christians abide in God's word. We study the word of God. We memorize it. We deeply think on it so we can become more like Jesus. And then, secondly, in prayer, he says, whatever we ask, it will be done. We talked a little bit about this last week, and I'll just speak to it for a moment. When God's word abides in us, it changes the way we pray because we start to pray God's will over our situations and our lives, not just our own. It transforms the way we think, it transforms the way we act and walk and live. And I'll tell you at the end of the day if we are to produce fruit in our everyday lives, we have to regularly be engaging the word of God. And I'll just say this for a moment. It can be really easy reading this passage and at the end of the day say, "Man, I want to do something for God. So I need to abide in him and read the word of God so that I can produce fruit. Can I just tell you that's backwards? The emphasis on the text is about abiding, not producing. We in our culture and the way we think, we often think about greater production. How can I be a greater producing Christian? How can I be the most fruitful Christian in the world? Well, said, I have to read my Bible every day. I'm going to read it three times a day. I'm going to pray and I'm just going to fast and I just want to produce more fruit. Well, that's not the point at the end of the day the whole point at the end of the day is abiding we were made to abide with jesus and if we just focused on being with jesus abiding with him we will naturally produce fruits not only that in the last part in the last couple of verses in just a moment i have we also produce fruit by love and obedience through love and obedience this is what jesus says as the father has loved me so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. The man in walking in obedience and love with God, that is where my joy is found. Jesus loves you as a disciple just as the Father loves him. And if we're to produce fruit in our lives, we must remain in his love. And to do that, we do that through obedience, right? There's this amazing joy. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but there's this amazing, overwhelming, great joy that we experience. We experience the love of God through our obedience in Christ. You ever notice that, that when I'm walking with Jesus and I'm actually obeying and walking with him, there's this supernatural joy that I experience in my life. I don't know if you remember a song when, when I was growing up. There's this song called Trust and Obey. Anybody else? Right? It's like, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Right? It's awesome. So it, It's great. And I remember singing that as a kid and thinking, like, trust and obey. Like, God wants me to obey or else he's going to flip over my car as I drive down the road. Like, honestly, that's kind of the way I felt. It's like every time I didn't obey, God was going to be really mad at me and, like, produce something horrible in my life. But now the, lo- the, the older I get and what I see in Scripture is I was all wrong. That song's immensely beautiful. Why? Because the idea is that trust and obedience lead to a deep joy in Jesus, and that's the way in which we abide in this amazing love. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to, 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 to be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. Man, can I tell you, believer, you're not intended just to exist. Jesus didn't come, give his life on the cross so that you can just exist, go to your job with no purpose, come to church every couple of Sundays and just exist. I'll close with this. One writer wrote about this topic. He said this, The Christian's purpose is not simply to exist, to find enjoyment in their private spiritual quest or moral program, but to participate in the fruit-bearing task required throughout God's vineyard. The fruit of the Christian is, to, is participation in the mission of God through the church and to the world. Our purpose is to produce fruit. But we don't just do that by trying harder or doing more or stop sinning or doing other things. We do that by having a deep profound pursuit in Jesus and abiding in him, walking in faith with him, with a word and prayer and walking in trust and obedience with him and our abiding in Jesus. If that is our focus, we will naturally be fruit bearing Christians that God is pruning and producing much fruit. That is my heart for us today. And today, if you're here and that has not been your pursuit for a while, or maybe you've been here and it has a little bit, but man, God is just doing more in your life, we're going to sing a song. And at the end of the day, we're going to sing a phrase in the song, that I'm running to your arms. And maybe today, that is your response, just to run to God say, God, man, today, I, I, it's been a while. When, when Jim shared that metaphor of being married for a long period of time and just walking and past each other in the hallway, God, that's been me and you for a long time, but I don't want it to be like that, God. I want to I deeply pursue you. I want to be found in you. I want to abide with you, Lord. And maybe today, just by you standing in, in, this, in this church, declaring to the Lord, man, I'm running to you. That's your sign to the Lord, like today, I want it to be different, Lord, moving forward. And my heart is that we would be a church that abides in Jesus, and by product of that, we're a church that produces much fruit for the kingdom of God as you are seen Christ-like in every aspect of your life as you move forward in the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you for today. We thank you for your presence in this place, your use of broken people like myself for your kingdom purposes. Forgive me, Father. Forgive all of us for much many periods in our lives where we just exist and we're not actually deeply pursuing you. We just rest in this objective reality that we're in you, but we're not like subjectively pursuing your heart and longing to abide with you. And by product, we're living fruitless lives. Jesus, pursue us, engage us, convict us and call us, Lord, even as we sing. It's in Jesus' great name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we're going to sing?